number three. James chapter number three. We'll begin at verse number one and read through verse 12. And then go to James 1, verses 19 through 27. Let's start with 3. James chapter 3, beginning with verse number 1. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version if you don't have that. Um, or you can read along with your neighbor or we'll have the words on the screen. James chapter number 3. Number 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the wheel of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Verse number six. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire, the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being 
No hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not brighten his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We've been in this sermon series called Modern Family Vintage Values. Modern Family Vintage Values. And what we've said is that God is the creator of the family. God is the one who gets to determine what the family is, how the family is, is to exist, and what the purpose of the family is. It is my heart's desire that every family in this church is healthy and strong and is operating according to God's will. We all have some dysfunction in our families. But before there was ever dysfunction, there was first a functional family. And we looked at what the functional family looked like in Genesis chapter 1, then in Genesis chapter 2. Then all of a sudden, dysfunction enters the scene in Genesis chapter 3 when man and woman are deceived by Satan and sin comes. And and now, because of sin, we have now a dysfunctional family. But the hope that the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to just live in despair of our dysfunction, but there is hope for our dysfunction. And that dysfunction is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. We have been redeemed from the curse of the law. We have been redeemed from the, the grip, the death grip of sin. And so now our families, though dysfunctional, can be redeemed. And so now we've, and we've talked about what is it for to, be a, to have a healthy marriage. Pastor Josh taught us what it is to be God-glorifying parents. He says there's two basic roles for us as parents, instruction and discipline. And he broke that down for us for 50 minutes a few weeks ago. That's my boy. And so now, last week we looked at one of the biggest reasons that we have this function in our family is because we don't know how to communicate well. We don't know how to talk to one another. So we looked at Ephesians chapter 4 and what that had to say about our communication. And so now we're going to do part two of communication here from the book of James. And James opens up by warning people. He says, not everybody should become a teacher. Now, when you read that first verse, it seems like he just came out of nowhere and said that and then said what he really wanted to say. It seems like it's just, where did this come from? Here's the thing. Teachers' primary mode of communication is their tongue. Teachers do their vocation. They carry out their vocation with their tongue. So he's going to say, James opens up by saying, not many of us should become teachers. 
because none of us can tame our tongue. And the reason you really don't want to become a teacher is because they're going to stand before God. They're going to receive a stricter and a harsher judgment for all their sinful speech. And so he, he moves from the specific teacher to the more general. Because as soon as he says, we all not want to, should not want to become teachers, then he says, we all stumble in many ways. He goes from the specific to the general. And then he goes now on this exposition of the power of the tongue. And so the first thing that James, James' main point to us today is you need to watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. All right. Here's why. First of all, look with me at the power of the tongue. Look with me at the power of the tongue, verses 1 through 5. He says that the, the tongue, it has power to direct. It has power to direct. James, in verse 2, he says we all stumble, we all fall, we all fail spiritually. If anyone does not stumble in his speech, then that person is perfect. He says, if anybody does not stumble or sin in their speech, then they have reached the peak of spiritual maturity. Because he who can control his tongue can control his whole body. In other words, James' point here is that the person that can control their tongue has mastered the art of self-control. And since no one has mastered self-control, then no one is above stumbling or sinning in their speech. That's why you need to listen to this sermon. James teaches us essentially that a marker of one's spiritual maturity is our ability to watch our mouth. One marker of, a, of one's spiritual maturity is their ability to control their tongue. Spiritually mature believers have the ability to watch their mouth. So James, he uses three metaphors to teach us about how the tongue has the power to guide, the power to direct. The first metaphor he uses is that of a bit that goes into the mouth of a horse. The bit, is, it, it, it's used to steer or guide the horse by releasing or applying pressure. It guides or directs the whole body of the horse. The second metaphor he uses is that of a ship. Verse 4, he says, look at the ship. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. He's simply contrasting that you have these large objects, a horse and a ship, and the only way that they can be guided, directed, the only way they are, are, are able to obey is by something that's very small. The bit that controls the horse and the rudder that controls the ship are small, but yet they guide these very large objects 
And he said, the tongue is just like the bit that goes into the mouth of the horse and the rudder that guides the ship. It's small, but it boasts of great things. The third metaphor he uses is that of a small fire or spark. He says a small fire can set an entire forest ablaze. And in like manner, the tongue can do great damage. He says the tongue has power to direct, but not only does it have power to direct, it also has power to destroy. Look at verse, two, verse 6. He says the tongue is a fire. Friends, it only takes a small spark to start a great fire. A small firecracker can set an entire forest on fire. Many wildfires have been started because of a, just a small cigarette butt. And James says the tongue is just like that. It's a small part of the body, but it has the power to destroy entire lives. And friends, in today's culture, it does all the more damage with the technology that we have today. All it takes is a keystroke or a touch for something to go viral. That's why not only should you watch what you say in person, but you ought to watch what you say online as well. Friends, I still need to know that you are my brother and sister in Christ on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I have never seen so many Christians say so many unchristian things like what I see on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. There's a whole nother avenue for us to apply what James is saying here. Not just interpersonally, but also technologically. We must choose our words carefully because they have the power to destroy. In the Proverbs, Solomon said that the power of life and death it's in the tongue. Now, this is for free. That don't mean you're going to be able to speak and raise somebody from the dead necessarily. I had a friend who told me that he had that power. I said, okay. So if you've got that kind of power, let's go to the cemetery. Because I've got a grandfather, a grandmother, an uncle and aunts that are out there that I'd like to see one more time. That was not what Solomon was saying, but the, the author in Proverbs was saying when they said the power of life and death is in the tongue. Their point was, you are accountable. Your words have power, and you will be held accountable for the words that you use. Oh, y'all don't like that, huh? You thought you could get somebody out of the ground. Now, God has that power. Because all he has to do is speak a word and things come into existence. All he has to do is speak a word and your dirty soul can be saved. That's all it takes for God. But he didn't give that power for us just to speak and things happen. This whole 
thing or speak things into existence. I, we got to be careful with that stuff. It sounds real good. This is still free, by the way. It sounds real good, but it ain't biblical, y'all. Yeah, there is a verse in Romans that talks about speaking those things that be not as those as though they are. And that's where we get that stuff. Speak the. Uh, speak things into existence. I can speak a new job into existence. I can speak a new car into existence. I can speak healing into existence. That is not what that was talking about. Context is matter because if you ever have, if you ever take the text out of context, all you have left is a, and a lot of people been conned out over that verse. That verse refers to one of two things in Romans 4. Romans 4 talks about the faith of Abraham. God was able to speak something that did not exist into existence when God called Abraham and said you will be a father of many nations even though you're married to a woman who's barren. Or he was talking about what we call creation ex nihilo. That's Latin from out of nothing. God did that. The subject of those verses is not man. The subject of the verse of speak those things that be not as though they are is God. God is the one who speaks things into existence. Okay, y'all don't like that. I'm glad we already took up the offering. However, our words do have the power to destroy. They've destroyed careers. They've destroyed relationships between parents and children. They've destroyed marriages. They've destroyed relationships between co-workers and neighbors. All it takes is one careless statement to ruin a life. James says this also, it also has the power to destroy because it's an unruly evil. In other words, he says, it's untamable. It's, un it's unable to be controlled. James says, as human beings, we figured out ways to tame every kind of animal, but no human being has figured out a way to tame their tongue. James says, it has the power to destroy because it's full of deadly poison. These are metaphors, analogies. Paul says, I mean, James, the author here, half-brother Jesus says, not only does it have the power to direct or guide, the power to destroy, but it also has the power to discredit. Look at verses 9 through 12. James says, we can discredit our witness because we have a way of contradicting ourselves with our tongue. Verse 9 says, we bless the Lord our Father and we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And he simply says, these things ought not be so. Here's what typically happens on Sundays. We are on our best Christian behavior. But as soon as we can get out the parking lot, we giving that holy finger to the person that cut us off. We're cussing at our neighbor. 
James says the same mouth that praises God on one day and then cusses out their neighbors on another day, that's double speak of the worst kind. Not only does it discredit our verbal witness, but it discredits our convictions because we have this conviction that every person is created in the image of God, in the likeness of God. And what our responsibility is as fellow image bearers is to affirm the dignity of every other human being that's been created in the image of God. And James says... We fail to affirm the dignity of a person when we speak to them in a degrading and demeaning way. See, we we believe in the dignity of every individual. I know we do because the great evangelical political issues are abortion, end-of-life issues. We, We believe in the dignity of life. If we do, or since we do, then we ought to affirm that dignity with how we talk to one another. James says it is hypocritical to bless God with your mouth on one day and then turn right back around and start cursing your fellow man with that same tongue. So then the question is, if our tongue is that powerful, how can we please God with our tongue? I'm glad you asked. Let's go back to chapter 1 now, because now we've set a foundation to how powerful the tongue is. Now we just need some practical application for how to please God with the tongue. James chapter 1. He says, brothers, I want you to know this. You You should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This, friends, is a verse that you underline, highlight, memorize. It has the ability to transform your relationships. James chapter 1, verse 19. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. He says, you please God with your tongue, first of all, being quick to listen. Church, this should be our approach to every conversation. The key to learning is listening. That idea, when he says be quick, the idea there, the word picture there is rapid pursuit. Be in a hurry to listen. Slow to speak. One preacher said we have two ears and one mouth, which ought to remind us to listen more than we speak. Friends, the reason most of our disagreements and arguments never get resolved is because we often do the reverse of what James tells us to do in this verse. All too often, we are quick to speak and slow to listen. James essentially tells us this is foolish and sinful. He says, be be quick to listen and slow to speak. Here's why. Because if you speak too hastily, you'll speak out of ignorance. You'll speak because you're uninformed and misinformed. 
take the time to listen so you can really get all the information that you need to have a healthy dialogue. When you speak before you listen, it only leads to misunderstandings, frustration, anger. So now, off this one verse alone, counselors have come up with a communication technique called the speaker-listener technique. If you've taken notes, this is the time to take notes. The speaker-listener technique. Here are the guidelines for the speaker-listener technique, and we need this in all of our families. Here are the guidelines. First, the speaker has the floor. And when the speaker has the floor, this is the responsibility of the speaker. The speaker should only speak for themselves and not try to be a mind reader. The speaker should only speak for themselves and not mind read. In other words, talk about your feelings. Your emotions, not the other person's perceptions or your interpretation of the listener's point of view. Talk about you. When you are speaking, when the speaker has the floor, there's been hurt, disappointment, some negative uh, effect. You should tip your partner. T-I-P. Keep taking notes. The T stands for trigger. T stands for trigger. What you're doing is you're communicating how someone else, what they did to you or failed to do that affected you. What was the trigger? What was the circumstance? that affected you. I stands for impact. Now that I've told you what it was that caused this hurt or this negative emotion, now let me tell you the impact of how your actions affected me. You need to use descriptive words. Use your adjectives. Trigger, impact, the P stands per, for preference. What you need to do there is state what you would have preferred or would prefer in the future instead of what actually happened. Trigger, impact, preference. State what you would have preferred or would prefer in the future instead of what actually happened. I'm talking about what the speaker should be doing. Speaker, especially if you're speaking to men, speak in small chunks. Don't give it to us all at once. We'll forget. Speak in small chunks. And the reason you're going to do that is because as you speak, you're going to stop and let the listener paraphrase 
in their own words, what they heard you say. Because so many times, what I say is not what you hear. And so the way you get to a healthy communication is the person speaks, and then the one who's been spoken to or the one who's listening says, so what I'm hearing you say is da-da-da-da-da. And now the speaker can clarify, no, that's not what I said. Or that's not what I said, but, but that is what I said, but that's not what I meant. And so what you're trying to do is you're seeking understanding and clarity. Because guess what? More than likely, because opposites attract, you and your spouse, you and your children don't communicate the same way. And so what you need to do is to make sure that she understands or that he understands what the issue actually is. Listener, here's your responsibility. Number one, listen. In other words, don't talk while they're talking. You cannot talk and listen too. I don't care how smart you think you are or how gifted you think you are. Do one or the other, but not both. Listener, your job is to listen. Now, also, listener, you don't speak until the other person has finished speaking. And if it's unclear, you just ask, have you completed your thoughts? Listening, your first job is to listen. Don't interrupt. Paraphrase what you hear. Now, here's the, here's the one that's really that you're going to struggle with, listener. Don't rebut or defend yourself. All you're trying to do at this stage of communication is to gain understanding and clarity. This is not the time to rebut or defend. This is the time to seek understanding and clarity. And I think this technique, and it's one way, not the way, that can facilitate healthy communication. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. If we would just learn to communicate, it has the ability to transform our relationships. The marriages that I'm helping right now, they don't communicate. They don't, they, they, they talk at one another rather than talking to one another. You will not have a healthy marriage. You will not have healthy relationships if you don't follow James' instructions here. Be, slow, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, for some people, that's a, a challenge. Because you are one of those people that what comes up, comes out. And I, and I know, I know, 
There's all these different personality tests, and they're going to say this is this person's personality, that's just the way they are. And I say, well, that's not the way they should stay. Because we are believers and we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can change, transform, and convict us to overcome whatever our personality is. And so for some of us, we're going to have to work much harder at being slow to speak. Because some of us, we've got a lot of opinions, and as soon as that opinion forms, we want to share it. And even in Ecclesiastes, it says there's a time for everything. It's time to speak. And, and, and my Brandon Reddick translation, it's time to hush. And you've got to have spirit-guided wisdom to know when is the right time to speak. Because we are told from last week, sermon, to speak the truth in love. But then we're also told there's a season, a time, just to remain silent. We've got to know when. And so one of the things you have to ask yourself is when you feel like you just have to speak, you have to say, is it really necessary? Is it helpful? Okay. He says, be slow to anger. I will admit and confess that some of the worst things that I've said to my own family have been words that I've communicated in the heat of the moment. It's been in those moments that I've done the most damage with my words. And here's the thing. A lot of times, I didn't mean everything that I said. I just want that person to hurt as much as I was hurting. And James says, that's not reflective of a person that's been saved by Jesus Christ. James says we should be slow to anger because it does not produce the righteous life God desires. As I said before, if you are too angry to communicate in a healthy way, then you need to call a timeout. Tell your partner that you're, you can sense yourself getting angry, and all it's going to lead to is raised voices, unhealthy communication, that you're going to finish the conversation at a later time. Now, here's the thing that I've had to learn to do, because I was one of those people who was not slow to anger. That when I, during my time out, I've had to do some introspection and ask myself, why are you so angry? Because what I've learned is that anger is a secondary emotion. There's something that's giving fuel to my anger. For me, it was fear. My fear led to anger. What is, what is it for you that is leading you to be so angry? There is a righteous anger. We talked about that last week. But not all of our anger is righteous anger. It's unrighteous because maybe sometimes somebody... It's poking at one of our idols, our idols of comfort, security, money, power, approval. One of the things that I struggle with even today 
If you want to get under my skin and get my blood boiling, it's for me to feel disrespected. You disrespect me, old Brandon coming out. But I have to sit and do introspection and say, why am I so angry? Why do I feel so disrespected? And so what I'm, my point is that when you get so angry to where you can't communicate in a way that glorifies God and affirms the dignity of that person, you've got to ask yourself, why am I so angry? Finally, he says, if you're going to please God with your tongue, you must also be doers of the word. He says, Don't just be hearers, but be doers. Otherwise, you're just deceiving yourself. Too many times, all we do is hear the word, whether it's through preaching, small groups, podcasts, Bible studies, or some other means. And, we, and, and, and the danger is that we hear the word so much that we start to convince ourselves that we are spiritually healthy and mature. But just because you hear the word a lot does not mean you're healthy or growing. I'm convinced that the problem with a lot of Christians in the church today is that they've heard so much and done nothing with it that we've got a bunch of spiritually bloated and constipated Christians. Because we're doing a lot of hearing and not doing anything with what we heard. There's no outlet for that stuff because we're not doing anything. Paul's James says, you just deceived yourself. We got too many Christians that get fed a lot from God's word, but it's not being digested into actions. So James says, don't just be a hearer, but a doer as well. Now, I'm done. Y'all going to think, if we want Brandon to shut up quicker, turn the air off. Don't do that. The goal of this sermon was not for it to be an emotionally, emotionally rousing sermon. Hopefully it was convictional on one level for some people because many of us don't communicate well. And this culture of individualism Everybody, every, all truth being relative if not absolute, everybody having an opinion and everybody having the right to share their opinion, whether it's in person and, and if you're for the millennial generation and younger below them, it's on Facebook and everything. Everybody has to get their opinion out. We don't communicate in a Christian way. Marriages, most issues in marriages, family boil down to a communication issue. Many times we deal with the symptoms in our marriage, not the actual root issue in our marriage. It's been a failure to communicate. Some of us have the ability in the heat of the moment to forget all of what James just said in James 3 and in James chapter 1. And we've got to do better because we are a changed people. We are 
people of the new creation. We are people who have acknowledged our sin before a most holy God, and we have confessed with our mouths and believed in our hearts that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died in our place, was buried and rose on the third day. And because of who we are now, a child of God, because we now have a new identity in Christ, our actions ought to reflect that. And it ought to reflect that in our interpersonal communication as well. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for what eyes have seen, our ears have heard, our hearts have felt. Father, we confess right now that we don't always glorify you with our words. We don't always edify our, our brothers, our sisters in Christ, our neighbors, our spouses, our children, our parents with our words. But we've used our mouth to tear down rather than build up. We've used our words to demean, degrade. So, Father, we pray right now for forgiveness for those sins. And all of our interpersonal relationships. Convict us, Holy Spirit, in those times where we are tempted to speak to one another in ways that don't glorify God, honor Christ, and undignify the person that we're speaking to. God, help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. Father, thank you now. Help us to put into practice the things that we've learned today. Help us to seek even outside help if necessary, to facilitate communication. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You are sent. Thank you and have a great day.